Hello everyone and welcome back to Talking Tolkien. Today we are discussing Chapter 7 of Fellowship of the Ring, Part 2, or Book 2 I should say, The Mirror of Galadriel. So as always, we are going to start off with Today in Middle-Earth, followed by a recap of the events of the chapters from last week, then move into our discussion of the text, and finally segue into our favorites both from the book and from the past week of our lives. I'm John. I'm Katie. And I'm Chase. All right, so today is December 9th, is that right? 10th. 10th. All right, Katie, you want to take it away? Yeah, so today, December 10th, uh, once again, the hobbits are still in Rivendell, um, just hanging out, waiting for things to happen. Um, And that's about it, because I don't want to talk about anything else that might be possibly spoilery. Nothing from the hobbit? Really? No, not was really. This, was this the point when like Bilbo was heading back home? Yeah, Bilbo, okay, Bilbo yeah. was kind of heading back home. That's what I assumed. All right, well, that was very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll get more exciting, and especially when we get into March of next year, it'll get real exciting. But that's a yeah. ways away. <laughs> yeah. All right, Chase, do you want to take it away with last week in this show? Oh, no. What happened last week? We got out of the mines. We got out of Moria. Uh, we saw Belrog. And that weirded me out because that was something from Melkor's army back in the day. <laughs> and Gandalf fell off a bridge. Mm-hmm. And they got out of the mine and no one had a chance to react to Gandalf. Actually, you know, in well, all there's we some brilliant we... stuff in that in that chapter and also in this one where they're like, he fell. He fell. Well, because that's the thing. All that we know at this point Wink. is that Gandalf fell. Yeah. And we'll, we'll learn more uh, soon. Uh, and then they went off into Lothlorien, mm-hmm. kind of. Is the forest Lothlorien? or yes. is it Okay. So they went to Lothlorien, met a bunch of elves, and then they were like, we're getting to blindfold the dumb, the dumb dwarf. And the, <laughs> the dwarf's like, no, we are all going to be blindfolded together. And then they were like, later on, that was dumb. So let's go. And then it ended, basically. After, well, we had this great moment with Aragorn, too, where yeah. he was saying how... It noted that he was never going to come back to this place, and he said some. He said something in Elvish that referenced. Uh, yeah, farewell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and that's it. That was my Chase Smith <laughs> recount of the last <laughs> chapters. <laughs> you know, come to think of it, last week we probably just should have done the Bridge of Casa Doom, well, and this week we should have done uh, coming to Lothlorien. What was that? Just Lothlorien and Lothlorien. Honestly, I don't think th- so, though, because I really liked the juxtaposition of the last two chapters together. I I think it was interesting to read those and kind of pull some things out of both. I don't know. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> well, and also, like, we were talking about it beforehand. We kind of have a situation where all three of these chapters kind of roll into each yeah. other. Yeah. Which is kind of, it's not been the thing since the very beginning of the book. So it kind of makes sense to we were just gonna have to break something off grouping. at some point, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and that's kind of the thing about this book is um, the narrative styles are so kind of wildly different. You know, you start at the beginning of the book, and you know, the beginning is this like proto history of the hobbits, and then you get into this um chapter that spans 17 years <laughs> and then you get you know this kind of flight to Rivendell and then all of a sudden they spend two months in Rivendell and <laughs> then they leave Rivendell and they spend three weeks exploring and then they're at you know uh, the pass at Caradras and then they're at Moria and now you know like it's like 
it's almost like skip stop you know like it's a long amount of time in one chapter and then like where nothing's happening and then suddenly everything's happening all at once well in book one i was like they're never getting out of the shire and then eventually (laughs) they got to rivendell and now it's like well now we're not spending any time in anywhere (laughs) yep and i mean i i think i think that's a, a a smart narrative move though because it you know it's a lot more realistic yeah it's that's yeah that's what i was trying to go for it's it's real it's real. It's the realist. <laughs> Lord of the Rings book two, the realist. I don't know. I want to. Like, I want to see the Mad Max Fury Road treatment where they get the uh, they get the Ring to Mordor and the and they get in the cracks of doom by, in like thirty six hours time. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> All right. No, so... I've looked. At, I've looked at a map. I now have perspective on how big this place is. So. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, there are maps all over the internet where they, like, overlay Fredo and Sam's journey onto the continental United States. So yeah. if you're an American like us and you like to think of yourself as the middle of the world, this is the good way to do it. <laughs> we talked about that around the Silmarillion, too, didn't we? Where it yeah. was, like, the, like... About how far Sam and Frodo walk. Yeah, like, we want to believe that, like... What was it again we were talking about? Like, like how, like, if the, if the Shire was, like, in California... I forget what the... Uh, we always like to where, think that, where the two points were, but like we would I think like we to... decided that the Shire was in Oregon because they smoke a lot of weed. Yeah, <laughs> no, yo, we did. I I remember that. I remember I made that great comparison about like Portland and the Shire and go. Hobbiton. So yeah, there's actually a satirical TV show called Shirelandia. Ha 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 ha. I or I guess it would be Bucklandia. Yeah, it'd be Bucklandia. Yeah, Bucklandia. All right. Yeah. At that note, let's take a short break. We'll be right back with you in a second. Hello, everyone, and thanks for listening. If you enjoy Talking Tolkien and would like to contribute, we have a Patreon account that you can find uh, just by searching Patreon for Talking Tolkien or patreon.com slash Talking Tolkien. For as little as $1 a month, you could help us to work towards goals such as buying new equipment and new editing software. Thank you very much. All right, so when we meet back up with our company, they are... Still in that beautiful little pass where we had that really emotional moment with Aragorn. And as the sun starts to sink, uh, they they kind of go on again. And they're, they're walking for quite a bit. And suddenly they come into an open area and find themselves under a pale evening sky pricked by a few early stars. Uh, so they're in like a big treeless space and, a, and a, that's in a, a big circle. And... It's just this beautiful area, and it said it glowed still in memory of the sun that had gone. Yeah, uh, I really like a lot of times in this chapter, we're going to see several um, sort of images that really and truly kind of make you think of paradise, because that's kind of what this is. You know, we've heard from Aragorn before that this is the heart of Elvendom on Middle-earth, or in Middle-earth, and... um, Absolutely. We see so many times throughout this chapter, Lothlorien described as this absolutely beautiful, idyllic place. Makes me, makes me when I said that Rivendell felt like the heart of all this stuff, I was very wrong. <laughs> I mean, you know, Rivendell has its splendor as well. Um, but truly Lothlorien is, is like, I mean, there's no other way to say it, the true heart of Elvendom. Well, people actually know about Rivendell and are constantly traveling. Tra- 
traveling there mm-hmm. compared to Lothlorien seems like a place that not much more secluded yeah yeah it's, it reminds me of Gondolin back in the day I yeah. mean you've got them when to blindfold people to make sure they don't know where to go <laughs> you know and then yeah. the, the descriptions of when they're stepping into this area are just amazing Mm-hmm. So yeah, that you know, there's gold and silver light everywhere. So what does that make you think of immediately? Los dos arbols. Very good. I, I forgot how to say tree I don't, in Spanish. I don't, I don't good, know. Good, you you took that up because I was going to say those damn trees, <laughs> those trees back the in trees. the day. Yeah. So yeah, they have come to Caras Galaton, which is the main city of Lorien. That's yeah, how you pronounce so, it. <laughs> so they're in this kind of like clearing, and then in front of them are. You know, these trees of kind of innumerable height and too many of them to count. And then all throughout the trees are these beautiful lights and uh, says their height could not be guessed, but they stood up in the twilight like living towers mm-hmm. and their many tiered branches. And amid their ever moving leaves, countless lights were gleaming green and gold and silver. And then they're like, but well, Haldir is like, but we can't actually get into the city from this way. There's only one gate and we're at the wrong end. So we're going to walk around the city. Yeah. <laughs> So they do. They take the long way around. Uh, and what what happens is they're going to be brought before Lord Caliborn and Lady Galadriel, who Ooh. have been the, basically the rulers of, uh, of Lothlorien for ages. Since the Silmarillion, since before a lot of the stuff. I mean, Galadriel is a very, 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 very ancient, ancient. Mm-hmm. being in this world. Yeah, well, and she's kin she, to Feanor. Right, yeah. So and she it, acts like it, too, which is great. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, Galadriel is very regal, and again, we get these descriptions of her. She's uh, she's incredibly tall, as most elves are, uh, and, you know, we, we get this description of her golden hair, and, and both uh, she and Celeborn are both described as sort of timeless and at the same time seeming both young and old but the only way that you really see age i really like how this is described is like through their eyes you can see Mm -hmm. sort of memory through their gaze which is again pretty much all of the free peoples of middle earth are very uh closely tied to memory and history they all have songs you know that they've written about their great exploits in the past and they all have stories and they like to remember them, but truly the elves most of all. And they were grave and beautiful, which was the thing I specifically pointed out when yeah. I was reading it as a great vision to hold on to for what they appear to be. Yeah. yeah. And it also makes you think of the, the kind of the first description we had of Lothlorien itself, that it was both fair and perilous. Mm-hmm. And I think that Caliborn and Galadriel go along with that as well so i will say and you know we're trying to limit for i mean for good reasons we're trying to limit our discussions of the movie until our specific movie episode (laughs) but uh while i do envision most of the characters in my mind as being kind of a a discrete entity from their filmed portrayal i cannot help but just imagine galadriel as Kate blanchett she is so ethereal i I was just gonna say beautiful but yes i'm actually seeing a a Kate blanchett movie tomorrow Mm -hmm. so but yeah we'll be talking about Kate blanchett a bunch <laughs> later. So um, they get to, they kind of enter into the city and there's a stair that kind of goes up through the trees and a uh, Haldir is like, this will seem 
long and uh, you know t- perilous and tiresome for you people <laughs> who aren't, aren't used to climbing all of these. <laughs> yes, but you're allowed to rest along the way, except for you, Frodo. I want you and Legolas to come immediately. Everybody oh, else can yeah. come at their own pace. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Legolas because he's kin, and Frodo because he's got that ring. Yeah, that one ring. Uh, and and the descriptions of this area are just phenomenal. I mean, we've I I I. I there was a mention of like white stone. Yeah, so it's like, and it's like, like an oval area, and you know, a, a, everything is has so much light. Everything is infused with so much light in this area. And I failed to highlight this description, but they they head towards this gigantic tree, and the I don't I don't necessarily remember if the bark was mentioned as being, but it, something about the tree was referenced to being like silver silk. Mm-hmm. And that was just like just like interesting trying to imagine a tree <laughs> with those sorts of features applied to it. Yeah. Um. What was I going to say? Oh, you said you know Chase that you Frodo come right now because you have the ring. They don't actually explicitly state it, and no, they don't. Yeah. They, they it, it it's kind of acknowledging that they know that they know the purpose of the quest, and they know that Frodo is the ring bearer but they never actually talk about the ring yeah and again they've had um messages from elrond's people so so we'll come to this you know the reasoning for this kind of uh wink wink nod naughtiness i'm sure there's a better term for that it's not going to my right now uh illusion <laughs> there you go the, uh we'll we'll come to the reason for this illusion later but anyway uh so haldir and legolas and Frodo reach the chamber where Haldir and Celeborn are, and Galadriel you know. and Celeborn. <laughs> What'd Thank you, you. say? <laughs> I, I even missed that. <laughs> I was gonna go with it. <laughs> and yeah, you know, Galadriel's fair and her hair is gold, and uh, Celeborn is hair is fair and his hair is silver. And Celeborn is like, sit beside me now, Frodo of the Shire. When all come, we speak together. So it's like. Even though Frodo had to come first, they're not even like holding counsel until everybody else gets there. Yeah, and then well, as there, and, and I, I think again, you know, Frodo. Everywhere that we have gone, and especially among the elves, Frodo has been an honored guest because they all know something of this this quest. Yes, and then um, as as each member kind of appears, they greet them by name because. Elves are weird, and they just know everybody's name instinctually. And I like that. First off, Celeborn greets uh, Gimli as well, um, you know, with with kindness, uh, and says he he kind of says that he hopes that this is a good sign. Yeah, he's uh, like, it's it's been a long time since we've seen Durin's folk yeah. in this city. Yeah, but so, let yeah let this lead to to greater relations, basically. Yeah. Only Gimli could go to Karis Galadorn. <laughs> that's, exactly. that's what that's a famous Vulcan saying. <laughs> so Celeborn then notes that there are only eight people here, oh, yeah. and yet they had heard that there were nine who were sent out from Rivendell. Um, so unless something has changed, uh, so Galadriel, of course, instantly notes that Gandalf had set out with them and asks about his whereabouts and she says so she wants to speak to him and she says that she 
can't see him that they're in like in, in her mind's eye she can't see him there's this kind of gray mist she calls it about him uh so of course aragorn tells them about the loss of gandalf and moria specifically it's, says belrog from melkor like yeah. of melkor and like just well, says that and not not aragorn aragorn says he fell into shadow he remained in moria and did not escape Someone and then Legolas, Le- Le- Legolas said oh, it was yeah. a Balrog of Morgoth. Of mm-hmm. all elf banes, the most deadly, save the one who sits in the Dark Tower. Wait, yeah. does yours say Morgoth specifically? Like, Yes, yes. Does yours say Morgoth specifically? Mm-hmm. Mine said Melkor. Really? Yes, mine straight up said Melkor. Sure? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw it this morning. I was like, whoa, that's weird that it just said Melkor. Like, hmm. uh, I figured our additions were all exactly the same. That that's might odd. just be a fluctuation because Morgoth and Melkor do mean this like they're the same yeah but but at at this point and well and from from a certain point on he was always called Morgoth I'm gonna find that section I'm gonna find it on mine because I I swear it said that on mine I would be curious if it were to say Melkor Uh, but anyway so this this news of course hits everyone incredibly hard especially the elves and especially galadriel because again remember galadriel has known gandalf for a very long time knows him well uh and also uh caliborn says that this is the worst news that has come to lothlorien in a very long time and yeah indeed it is he's like you know alas we had not known we had we knew that evil was near but we did not know that the dwarves had re-ranked yeah awakened the balrog and then Caliborn is being kind of uh, mean. <laughs> yeah, he he immediately says that he regrets for letting Gimli into the heart of the city and into the forest, even. So then Galadriel starts kind of lamenting the fall of dwarfdom, and she says, "Dark is the water of Caledzaram, and cold are the springs of Kibelnala, and fair were the many pillared halls of Khazadum in elder days." For the fall of mighty kings beneath the stone. And she kind of looks at Gimli, and Gimli like kind of starts to kind of glow, and he's really, really touched and honored that she's using his language to to you know honor and uh lament his society. Yeah. So Gimli kind of, you know, though this is sort of this ancient enemy almost uh, uh, between these two people, he sees a, a friend and kindness. In and Galadriel's words. And so then Gimli says, you know, well, more fair is the living land of Lorien, and Lady Galadriel is above all the jewels that lie beneath the earth. So clearly he's kind of smitten. <laughs> uh, what I like about this, though, is, and Chase, you might know the term for this. I surely don't. You know how sometimes there's like a, a, a break between paragraphs? Mm-hmm. You know, like some paragraphs lead into each other, and sometimes there's like a break yeah. of a line or two between them. It's not uh, the appropriate terminology for it, but I've always called it like a stanza break. But that's more in regards to poetry, yeah. yeah than it is a, to, yeah. I also the nitpicker <sighs> in me wants to say that you should call that a volta. <laughs> <laughs> I forget anyway, what it's called too. But yeah. I like this because after after like she says this and he's like Ferris Lady uh, Galadriel, there is one of those like big breaks in the text, and then it says there was a silence at length. <laughs> Kelleborn spoke again, so I'm imagining that there's like this this awkward silence for a minute or two while Kelleborn is like, "Okay, fine. I was a little harsh on Gimli. I need to say something." Well, and also I just can't help but like imagine like everybody staring around awkwardly, but like Galadriel not really 
but kind of like soaking it in. I, I I just get the feeling that she's the kind of person who's like, oh, there's an awkward silence. I'm going to take this all in. I'm going to take the and just take this in stride. As a, I, as a side note to our listeners, if you have not yet seen the Star Wars without John Williams project, go look it up because it is hilarious. Oh, just with all of the silence? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of take that pause as though I, I just think that's a really huge weighty moment, again, because we have kind of a move toward reconciliation between these two peoples who have been divided for so long so that's what i take that break as is just this putting extra emphasis on the weight of this moment um but so yeah caliborn apologizes and you know he, he spoke harshly because of, of how deep the grief is yes um, and then he says you know i will i will do what i can to aid you yeah uh and then galadriel's like we know what your quest is but we will not speak of it more openly so once again, kind of this like wink, wink, nod, naughtiness. But also, I think it's important to note, we've been told several times by like Aragorn, you know, there's no evil in Lothlorien and uh, the only evil that would be brought in would, would be if people to, were to bring it in themselves. And I think this is almost another example of that too, because this, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm nodding my head over yeah. here because I'm like. That's I, exactly what you get from this. Bit of my but, head can and starting to make even like more sense in this chapter. So. Yeah. You know, that we, we know that there's great, you know, we know how evil that thing is, Frodo, and we're not talking about it. <laughs> Again, I, st- I, I feel like Galadriel even is even sharper and on point than Elrond is about this, that I, that somehow even just evoking the words mm-hmm. of talking about the ring is a possibility for Sauron to come within their midst in some small somewhere, way. Well, and somewhere we out bit... there is a coalition of elf governors saying, no halfling refugees. Aww, <laughs> boo. Uh, but, and we do get a bit more clarification on, as to you know, why that may be the case with Galadriel a little later. So Galadriel now also uh, says that she's going to help them. Um, and, you know, I, she says that she's not going to directly give them counsel as far as, as uh, about what, what they should do, but she will tell them that, uh, well, she's, so the direct quote is, your quest stands upon the edge of a knife. Stray but a little and it will fall to the ruin of all. Yet hope remains while all the company is true. So basically, you know, she's, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I, I am going to tell you that you all need to uh, stay the course in order to succeed in this. I can't, that was another example of, uh, I mean, we've had these segments in this chapter, in this book where when Frodo encounters the uh ring race for the first time this is serious mm-hmm. and then when they get to rivendell and they have the council this is more serious and then when gandalf has fallen on into shadow even more serious and i can't but think of that line in particular as another example of this is serious yeah like just a reaffir- like reaffirmation of this is serious and also very comp like a balancing act of sorts. Well, yeah, yes. Complex. And so kind of to proceed the quote that you just read, Katie, she says, it was I who first summoned the White Council and I wanted Gandalf to lead it, but that, that didn't happen. Yeah. And so at least what I got from this, then she's saying, I won't give you counsel. I kind of feel like she is, she feels that her involvement in the White Council might have messed things up a bit. You know, like. Mm-hmm. Like I tried to 
you know, set us on a path to get this handled earlier, but I, and it didn't yeah. work. I failed. Yeah. So maybe I, I should, like, not be, you know, maybe I should aid you but not tell you what to do. But not, yeah, but not actually guide you. And, you know, also then lamenting the fall of, of Gandalf. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she says, you know, don't worry. This is a safe place. You're going to sleep well tonight. Uh, and then they're basically dismissed. And then, well, and she also had so before she sends them away, she kind of looks at each of them yes. in turn, and oh, like, yes. you know stares into their soul basically. And you know we're told that only Legolas and Aragorn are able to hold her gaze; the rest have to break it and look away because it's that intense and piercing. Particularly Sam, who blushes. Yep, Sam, <laughs> but also uh, as we learn later when the the Fellowship are all kind of talking, uh, especially Boromir. Mm-hmm. Uh, feels weirded out. Uh, Boromir and Gimli and Frodo, all of them, well, pretty much nobody wants to reveal exactly what it is, but they all feel as though their minds have been searched and that they've all been handed two options. Either continue on this quest, uh, which is basically darkness and shadow ahead of you, or turn back now and get what you most desire. And remember, uh, Elrond basically offered them the same deal. Yeah, it's yeah. like a, it's another gut check exactly. from the elves, and it's like it's it's they feel as if it's almost like a test that she's offering to them. You know, I'm sorry, Chasey, you said gut check, and now imagine like Gladriel has like a d20 and she's like rolling it, and she's like, okay, you pass, critical you, hit, you pass, <laughs> yeah. Um, what, would the, what, would the, what would that check be? Would that be like a it would probably be like your constitution plus yeah. a certain yeah, modifier. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe intelligence. No, I feel like it'd be constitution. I think it's it's constitution because this is completely about what's in your heart. She's looking into each of them for this this the strength of their heart, basically. Yes. And, um. What was I gonna say? I don't remember. Anyway, after this, they are set up a nice little sleeping area. And the hobbits are very happy because it is on the ground. Yeah, I loved that little note there. They're not sleeping on a platform in the trees tonight. <laughs> yeah, so it's a little platform. Uh, it says a pavilion among the trees near the fountain. And they laid out soft couches and they left. Mm-hmm. And so this is, you know, like still their first night in Lorien. And they're just kind of like dreamily talking about what happened to them. And this is when oh, I remember what I was going to say. So this is when they start talking about like that soul stare. Yeah. And previously, Katie and I have talked about this before, but we had a high school English teacher who, rather than yeah. give quizzes, would just stare into your soul and ask you if you did the reading. And like you, something about this with this like willowy old man, you know, could not you could not lie to him. So yeah, that's that's my relation to this. Uh, totally, he would stare you down, and and it it, it was. I mean. Yeah, that's that's totally what I think of when I'm thinking of this Galadriel stare down. <laughs> <laughs> so they're like, "Hey, Sam, how come you like blushed and looked away?" And Sam is like, "Well, she's hot. I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> Sam is like, "Well, I saw I, I saw like the Shire and you know everything in it, and I felt like I had the chance to go back immediately and you know have my own little garden, and I, I felt kind of guilty Ashamed. about wanting that. Yeah, guilty." And Mary's like, that's funny. That's almost exactly what I felt. Mm-hmm. And he's like, only, well, never mind. And he doesn't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah. So again, you know, most of them don't want to talk about what 
they saw but they all feel the same way as if they've basically been questioned by her it's a it's also a great little character moment right then Mm -hmm. of like not wanting to reveal like everyone's got secrets yeah everybody's got secrets yeah uh, and and I, I I do feel that absolutely all of them are feeling kind of the same as Sam says that you feel ashamed for wanting that you know she she is showing them something that they would dearly want to go back to the Shire to have your own garden to tend and or you know whatever else anyone else saw and you would feel ashamed for for wanting that and f- kind of failing for a moment in what you have promised to do. Now, I know, like, per Tolkien's wishes, we're, like, expressly not supposed to read this book as an allegory, and I have no wartime experience, so this is me mostly just kind of navel-gazing, but, you know, deserterism, desertion, I guess, desertion was a Mm -hmm. big problem in World War I, and I can't help but wonder if this is kind of, like, inspired by, you know, his time in the trenches, and probably, like, that guilt that you would feel of, like, wanting to go home. I think it's certainly informed by that. Because I kind of thought, have you seen um, a very long engagement? Yeah. Like, that that's almost what I thought about is, like, this desperation. You'll do anything to, to, to be out of there, and you know that you're being, like, horrible in that situation. Right. Um, so now they have a couple of days, basically, that they're resting in Lorien. And, again, things seem outside of time. They don't really n- notice the passage of time so much. Um also during this so during this time they're all kind of grieving for Gandalf Legolas and Gimli begin to become friends <laughs> during buddies. this, this, well, this it, time it, like Legolas takes Gimli out into the the forest with him and uh, yeah th- this is another like big moment I'm marking here for elves and dwarves yeah because it says that well it says that one during this time Boromir is like, I don't know that I trust her. And Aragorn yeah. snaps and he's like, do not speak ill of Lady Galadriel. You yeah. have no you, idea. You have no idea what you're talking about. And previously when they first greeted uh, uh, Galadriel and Celeborn, Celeborn said, you know, oh, Aragorn, son of Arathorn, it has been 83 years since you have come here. And uh, you, you you look it. Sorry, dude, but you look it. <laughs> Time um, is not treating you well right now. Yes. Which so, I mean, we, we already know that Aragorn is a well-traveled man. But, you know, now it, it, like, it was established that he has been here before. He knows these people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it says old. that while, <laughs> yeah. while the fellowship kind of stayed together, Legolas did not stay with them. Furthermore, none of the elves really spoke their language. So they were... Almost entirely isolated, like Haldir had gone back to the frontiers and they didn't see Galadriel and Celeborn again. So they're just like kind of chilling out in their tent thing. <laughs> I, I've got the vibe. It's kind of like the. It's like a similar place as Rivendell, but kind of the exact opposite mm-hmm. sort of company. Yeah. It feels a lot more exclusionary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, exactly like you said mostly due to the fact they don't speak the same language. <laughs> You're not staying here for long, trust us. And they're yeah, so they they're also kind of during this time they're sort of recuperating and gaining physical strength, but at the same time they're the grief is like becoming more and more uh they're still weary. Yeah. And they hear the elves lamenting Gandalf because they hear songs being sung and they they can pick out Mithrandir, Mithrandir. Yeah. And so Frodo gets the idea to write his own song commemorating Gandalf. And he shares it with Sam. And Sam is like, 
Mr. Frodo, you're going to be, you know, like toppling Mr. Bilbo. Bilbo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Sam's like, but you need you need your own or you need a, a passage about his fireworks. Mm-hmm. And so Sam is like, how about this? The finest rockets ever seen. They burst in stars of blue and green or after thunder golden showers come falling like a rain of flowers. Yeah. And then Sam is like, but that doesn't do them justice. <laughs> And then, so Frodo, of course, you know, Frodo doesn't normally make up his own songs. He 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 likes to sing other people's songs, but he he doesn't often make up his own. So you know, he he tells Sam that you and Bilbo could do far more justice to Gandalf than I could. And then it kind of you know hits him, and you you know that feeling of just this your heart dropping into your stomach. That's this feeling that Frodo has right now, and that's the feeling I get reading this because Frodo thinks, "Oh no, I have to tell Bilbo about this now." Yeah. <laughs> well, he also says, "Like I, I, I can't bear to think about this anymore." Yeah. yeah. Um. So that's yeah, that's a heart wrenching moment. So, so then they name drop Galadriel, who just appears basically. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, so then they're having this walk, just Frodo and Sam, and Sam is like, "So," I mean, Frodo's like, "So, Sam." What do you think of the elves now that you've spent a lot of time among them? I really liked this. This is okay. I feel like I need. I ha- I have to. I have to reference this line because it really stood out to me because it felt like me and Sam were on the same wavelength on the same of this page. one. Yeah, because it was just like. I reckon there's elves and elves. They're all elvish enough, but they're not all the same. Yep. which was kind of like my interaction. I was like. Wow, Sam and I had a moment there because <laughs> I've had that same thing too over the course of this entire year yeah. of going through these books of, man, there's a whole bunch of elves and they're all different. And, and they're weird. all different. <laughs> there's well, elves and then there's elves. There's elves and there's elves. <laughs> so one thing that I really like about the portrayal of elves that we get in this book, based on like as as compared to the portrayal of elves we get in The Hobbit, where they're just kind of these kind of funny characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but definitely like elevated to an extent is and not to talk too much about the movie again but if you only watch the movie then you think of elves are just like these like enlightened beings uh we we find that elves really are are very flawed in their own ways and they they are exclusionary and you know like there's a i i don't really know how to how to voice what i'm saying but it turns out that elves aren't really the best thing ever you know like they have their own problems they have their weird behaviors and stuff like that and they don't you know like maybe they shouldn't interact and play i don't know like it's hard for me to not want to knock the elves down a peg a little bit and i think part of that is just because like you know man inherited this world so like clearly like the elves did something to not no longer deserve to be there or like do you know what i'm saying it's it's not necessarily a no longer deserving to be there thing, but it's something that I'll talk about in just a few minutes. Yeah, well, we'll talk about <laughs> it in a bit. But like, I just I like that we get this this image of like the elves are are weird and they they don't talk to other people really. And you know, we saw this with with Celeborn. Like, he was quick to judge Gimli, even though he later admitted he shouldn't have been. Like, the elves aren't perfect, is what I'm saying. Absolutely, yeah. The the elves are just like any other group of people that we've encountered so far. You know, we've we've heard from hobbits that you know certain uh towns of hobbits think entirely other towns of hobbits are really weird and yes you know so i i I think yeah the elves are just like any other group of people i mean they're absolutely kind of elevated to uh on a like a different plane kind of but but they're the same they are there's they have societal 
uh, it reminds me very much of and this is this is not the first time i've i've dipped my dipped myself into like like biblical referencing in mm. this podcast but it reminds me of angels but not angels in the sense of how like the bible would mention angels but in the sense of how like one of my favorite works of fiction or one of my favorite poems ever paradise lost mm-hmm. treated mm-hmm. angels which is you have satan and angels and satan kind of going the angels are not perfect they're mm-hmm. kind of dummies sometimes and <laughs> everybody on earth would think they're infallible but in reality they're just other beings and mm-hmm. that's kind of the same sense going on here yeah well well and to draw into like a little personal experience you know i think it's incredibly common to grow up idolizing another culture and like yeah. wanting to be part of it and then mm-hmm. you know you slowly realize oh like they're not perfect they're really messed up too yeah so you know like i was your stereotypical little anglophile growing up and then like slowly as i came more of age and began to know you know become more acquainted with people from the united kingdom you realize like wow a lot of them are still like super classist a lot of them still think that they're an empire and they you know like are kind of in this elevated position in the world. And granted, I'm an American saying this, so like clearly those <laughs> problems exist for my society. But the thing is they exist for every society. Like it's e- and this is what Sam is like coming to. It's like it's yeah. easy to idolize a people without knowing them. But once you get to know them, these like weird things that nobody really talks about start to like get under your skin. Yeah. So- well, and also like maybe a perspective in that of a humbling sense of or not really humbling but kind of like gaining sense of pride in oneself because then you're like well these people i idolize got problems as well my problems don't seem so crazy and yeah. weird as you know yeah yeah totally yes so, so then they're, they're talking sorry, about uh they're, they're talking about magic as well you know talk uh and then that inevitably leads to a discussion of, of gandalf and like you know the fireworks and all that and of course Again, they're talking about how they miss Gandalf. And I really like the way that they talk about what they miss about him. Because Frodo, you know, Sam Sam talks about his fireworks, how yeah, great they were, yeah. you know. And then Frodo says, you know, yeah, that's all great. But what, what Frodo misses most is his bushy eyebrows and his quick temper and his voice. And I just think that this is perfect and such a tangible way for Tolkien to describe how you feel loss. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, I had, it's weirdly enough, it was like odd reading this after I had a moment where I was remembering back to my grandfather who passed away a year ago from now. Mm -hmm. And I had one of those moments where I was describing a situation to somebody when, like, before he died. Mm -hmm. And I realized what I was describing and I was longing and and holding on to was not a good thing. It was a bad thing. (laughs) But it still made me feel something inside. Or even just, you know, little things. Uh, Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's worth noting that what Frodo misses most about Gandalf were just the little, you know, human things about him and how he... It explicitly says that he misses how, like, swift he was to anger. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, like, a weird thing to miss about somebody. But at the same time, it's not. Like, you know? Like, I think generally saying that someone is swift to anger would kind of be like, you know, oh, he's a good person, but maybe his temper gets the best of him sometimes. But then after somebody dies, like, that's the things you miss about them. It's like their quirks, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, you know, they so they had been talking about the elves and Gandalf and Galadriel, and Galadriel, almost as if on cue, kind of appears <laughs> and invites them uh, to come 
to this basin that she has in this small little kind of garden uh, and fills this basin with water from the stream and then kind of breathes on it and she calls it the mirror of Galadriel and she basically says she has invited them here so that they can look into it if they would like. Um, Which is a good element of I'm not going to say whether or not you should (laughs) or you shouldn't. I actually almost kind of like read a vibe of maybe you shouldn't to that as well. Yeah, well, and that's, yeah, she's like, I'm not going to tell you whether you should or you shouldn't. I'll tell you that I think you can handle it uh, if you would like to. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it, you could see very powerful things. You can see some things that were, some things that are, and some things that yet may be. And she kind of says explicitly to Sam, like, you know, you wanted to see elf magic. This is elf magic. <laughs> Here's your elf this magic. This is elf yeah. magic. But I also like her, how she points out that people use that same word, magic, for Sauron's trickery. And she doesn't necessarily appreciate the word magic. <laughs> yeah, she's like, this is what your folk would call magic, I believe. I do not understand clearly what they mean. Like, yeah. Is this also a bit of Tolkien coming back as being the linguist he is and the awesome linguist he is of referencing how sometimes our words oh, yeah. fail us and we tend to use over like a, a word to mean a plethora of different things? Oh, yeah. I thought that was a really great moment because it's on point. Like it's mm-hmm. a good it's a good point to make. I mean, you know, there's magic that's trickery like we've seen and then there's magic that's. I mean, it's it's hard to describe exactly, but it, but that that's the point. Yeah, that's that's the point that's being made here is that. Uh, Why do dumb things not have more words? Yeah, but there's magic, and then there's magic, and it's interesting that uh, some kind of these creation or protective kind of things that can be done can be put on, almost on the same plane as like destructive and corrupt corruptive things. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do look into the mirror. Uh, Sam goes first and he sees so at at first when they look in the mirror what they see is the reflection of the stars you know but then almost instantly things change and so Sam sees trees kind of blowing in the wind but then it instantly the picture changes to this kind of dark vision of Frodo uh, kind of lying on the ground and then Sam himself running along a passage searching for something well, it's not a passage. It's like an, a seemingly endless stare, right? I think it was passage. I don't. I don't remember. But yeah, seemingly endless. Uh, and then back to wh- what looks like Hobbiton. It seems to him. Uh, it says, being... "Yeah, cl- climbing an endless winding stair." Okay. Maybe but... it was both. It felt like it was both because I'm like hearing both of it. Either way, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not important what the actual specific thing is. Um, I, I would argue that it is. Because this is the second kind of bit of foreshadowing text we get after um, Frodo's dream of Gandalf. Well, okay. <laughs> Up a stair. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Sorry, I'm yeah. being pedantic, but it'll pay off in like March. So. What was I? Oh, okay. So, so now he's back to seeing this image kind of what now definitely looks like trees and hobbiton that are not really being blown in the wind they're being cut down and then he sees kind of a chimney stack that's spewing this smoke so it's like there's a factory that's been kind of planted there and it's polluting the air and most egregiously it has replaced the old mill yeah 
Um, so Im- immediately, Sam wants to go home, and he, you know, is again cursing the fact that he's not there, and someone needs to go back, and you know, maybe Mary should have been sent back ap- after all to, you know, care after Hobbiton, and Galadriel kind of calms him. And immediately Sam is kind of regretting this magic that he's experienced and then kind of remembers his own mind and affirms that, yeah, I know if he goes back to Hobbiton, it's going to be the long way. It's going to take forever. It's going going to be, yeah. He's going to stay with Mr. Frodo. And he said, you know, if I'm lucky, I will get to go back. And, And Galadriel says, you know, evil things might be happening in the Shire. But remember that the mirror shows many things and not all have yet come to pass. Yeah. Some never come to be unless those that behold the visions turn aside from their path to prevent them. So oh, that's a good point in there. It's, yeah. like a, it's a classic example of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's yeah. like, you know, maybe maybe this is only going to happen if you turn aside because then Frodo would fall without your help. Yeah. So now Frodo decides he is going to look into the into the mirror yeah he's hesitant at first and gladriel is like do you not want to and he's like should i and she's like i will not counsel you (laughs) and again she tells him you know i think i think you can i think you could handle it but i'm not going to tell you whether or not to so frodo decides he'll look and frodo also sees you know a whole series of of images and he sees mountains and he sees the road and he sees this kind of bent over old man that at first he thinks is gandalf but then he realizes he's clad in white so he thinks it's Saruman. white staff yeah and then he sees bilbo pacing back and forth in his room and then he sees ships on the sea including a ship that is bearing a white tree emblem um, and a then white he's... fortress with seven towers mm-hmm. and a populous city. Uh, and one of the ships had like ri- uh, ripped sails, didn't it? Yeah. He sees a lot of things. Yeah. But then finally, what he sees is the great eye coming out of the darkness. Yeah. Yeah. And it, rimmed in fire, of course. And it's he notices that it's you know searching for something and then he gets the feeling that it's looking for him among other things uh but that it can't see him yet and then so he's kind of transfixed on this image and then he feels the ring that's uh you know around his neck he feels it becoming heavier and kind of drawing toward the mirror and he's kind of slipping closer and closer to the water before finally Galadriel warns him don't touch it don't touch the water and kind of breaks him out of this what I, I was very curious about this when I was reading it what would happen if he touched it boom end of the world <laughs> I mean that's a good response I, I can't help but think that that this thing is a little bit I mean it's very mystical it's very powerful that maybe like we don't really know yeah it's not really stated but maybe it's like you know some things in the mirror aren't won't happen unless you make them happen so maybe it's like if you touch it you're like kind of creating that world so like you know if he touches the mirror when he sees the eye of sauron then he would be alerting sauron to his presence yeah that's the kind of vibe i got as well this is a barrier between yeah, it's like, you know, in the olden days when everybody had a landline and you picked up to eavesdrop, like, <laughs> don't cough when you're doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't touch the water. Don't cough. <laughs> um, so Galadriel comforts Frodo and tells him that 
that she knows what he saw and basically she sees the same thing in her own mind um and then we're told that she basically can perceive sauron's mind um but she can resist sauron's efforts to perceive her own mind that's when frodo's like then I should give you the ring to hold on to it or something well, along those lines. I mean, there might be a little bit more. First, he notices, so Galadriel is kind of, you know, standing silhouetted against, you know, the, the, the great light there. And Frodo notices a ring on her finger. Oh, that's right. I almost forgot. Yes. Yeah. So now Gala- uh, Galadriel what? reveals to him. Yes. Huh? Well, before before we get to this, I want to say, and this is in the same paragraph, so I'm just like nitpicking here, but it says that he sees above her Irindil, the evening star, the most beloved of the elves, shining yeah. clearly above her, so brightly that it, that she casts a dim shadow, and then it is in the light of Irindil that he sees the reflection of the ring. Yeah. So Chase, do you remember who Irindil? What's what's important about Irindil? I just remember something about. Okay, give me a second. I remember something about a boat going off into space with the Silmaril. Arendelle sprang up from the ocean's cup. Yep. So I was right on that. I definitely remember that part. I remember. I mean, I, I, I am. I. That is my Chase Smith translation right there of that. So remember that Galadriel remains in Middle Earth because she feels kind of tainted a sense of guilt over her decision to follow Feanor. Yeah. Remember that Feanor created the Silmarils and now she's being bathed in the light of one of them. Like it's this very, very, it's the kind of moment that we really get rewarded for having read the Silmarillion beforehand Mm -hmm. because you know, what is otherwise just like this, this beautiful image in the text all of a sudden becomes a lot more steeped in the mythology because we know like, wow, the importance of, the, of, of the Silmarils to Galadriel. Yeah. So Frodo sees this ring, you know, from the light of the star shining down on her. And Galadriel tells him that this is Nenya, it's the ring of Adamant, and it's one of the elvish rings of power. Um, it's important to note, Sauron does not yet know that she is its keeper, though he suspects something. That was a whole big thing about Sauron not knowing this stuff. Yeah, and it's very important that Sauron does not know. Um, and, and yes, and then she says what was hinted to us, at least, in that of the of the Rings of Power in the Third Age, that section at the end of the Silmarillion, yeah. where she says, "Do you not see now? Wherefore you're coming to us is as the footstep of doom. If you fail, the enemy succeeds. If you succeed, the Ring loses its power, and Lothlorien shall fail." So we were kind of uh, given this theory earlier on that, you know, were the one ring to be destroyed, the elven rings may lose their power. Um, and in, in so doing, it would kind of break this enchantment of all this protection that's given to these realms and also kind of the magic, quote unquote, that makes them what they are. So Lothlorien would fade. Um, but, you know, given earlier the juxtaposition of this with one of the Silmarils, like, we we know from reading the Silmarillion that no, no one 
uh, individual, no, I, I would say person, but you know, no, nobody should possess the Silmarils. Like their power is too great and their, yeah. their loss is too great. And so I kind of feel like it's the same with the, the, like it, it, it's saying this of the ring, like perhaps nobody should possess a ring of power. Perhaps their power should fade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've, we've kind of learned our lesson over thousands of years that when something like this comes about, we should just kind of let it go. Yeah. Because so, you know, she, she she tells this to Frodo, and basically Frodo asks, you know, well, well, yeah, Frodo wants to give her the ring, and Galadriel resists this. She says, you know, all it would do is turn me into something worse than Sauron, and I would just take over his place once I defeated him. And seven Dark Lord, you'd have a queen. Exactly, you know. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then... She's, she says that the elves, so there are two options. Either Sauron overtakes everything or the ring is destroyed. Sauron falls and with it, the, you know, the, the three rings would lose their power. And so, El, you know, elvendom on earth would fade and the elves would diminish and go into the west. And she says they prefer the latter. Um Either either one is sad, but they would prefer the latter, and that the, you know the the goodness of the earth pre- be preserved, and they will just back away, back away, leave. I I also Ooh. got a I got a kind of a vibe in that section when she's talking about what would the ring do to her, mirroring what it would do to Gandalf. Yeah, and that these very powerful figures can't. There's this element of this book or of the story that's always been of like powerful very powerful beings having to kind of like play on the sideline mm-hmm. having to be having to like be counselors and having to because they know that the moment that they try to get involved it's gonna get really bad well and additionally that you know the, that much power no one no one should have that much power no one should have the access to the power of the one ring yeah. because power corrupts i mean think about the stories of the silmarillion is they were like constantly very powerful beings get a hold of some getting part of this very powerful fight and then becoming like impossible to overcome for anybody including them and then now in this situation it's like we learned a lot of lessons back then so what we've learned is if we just keep it with the like the most seemingly smallest and least powerful of us it will stay manageable it will stay kind of like before, like, it, but I'm just saying, if this was a Silmarillion story, mm-hmm. Sauron would be at ultimate power already, <laughs> causing horrible things to happen, and this would be happening in amazing, in like a giant battle, and everybody would be dead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, you know, there's a reason, we've said it before, but there's a reason why Frodo's the ring bearer. There's yes, no other way exactly. that it could be. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, we, the chapter kind of ends with that with Galadriel you know managing to resist that offer and then we had this kind of nice little thing so Sam agrees though he says all the same I think it would be you know nice if Galadriel could take the ring (laughs) uh she at least you'd use it for good and Galadriel says well at first I would but who knows what would happen after (laughs) well it's kind of like when that person you have a crush on comes to you for advice and is like should i break up with my boyfriend and you're like yes 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 but i can't tell you that because i want That'd be you horrible and unethical yeah it's like after i must recuse myself from this decision and then also they also have this like moment where they're like 
all right, now we got to go pretty soon. We need to stop hanging around here. We got to like get <laughs> yep. going. Yeah. The time will come soon to uh, to to leave once again. So there is something I I, I talked about it briefly before, but I just want to mention it again how the and so in this chapter, you know, all things in Lothorian are are very bittersweet because you know it's described as such this idyllic place and you know the the light reminds you of the two trees and there's no chance of being attacked here you know aragorn says that he will sleep the 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 best that he's slept since rivendell here um so everything is unbelievably beautiful and just timeless uh and very powerful as well you know and this juxtaposition of fair and perilous and grave and beautiful you know but at the same time, we know that the elves' time on Middle-earth is coming to an end. So there's this great, bittersweet tension that exists in this chapter, and also just within Lothlorien that we're, we're told during our time here. Um, uh, my brain broke. You okay? Was going you okay there? Um... <laughs> Oh, oh, and just uh, that, uh, that is, I think, is also shown really nicely through the elves' kind of relation with memory. Yeah. Because, um, again, we're told, you know, the only the only sign of age in Celeborn and Galadriel's eyes are the, the, the sort of time and memory that you can see in, in, their, in their eyes. Mm-hmm. Well, I just also, really like that. We had another reference to, I mean, think about this. Gladriel's mirror was not just a mirror. It was a basin of water. Mm-hmm. How much we know that water is important mm-hmm. to the elves in this universe. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, you know, we remember also the elves are immortal, right? But they're also kind of, you know, like you were alluding to earlier, they're their existence in middle earth is kind of dependent on the magic and the power that they've had with, with, with the rings. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they know that the only way to basically preserve the earth is for them to leave or, or either that or just stay and dwindle out into this kind of dull existence for them. If they were to remain on a middle earth is very, very bittersweet. Yeah. Well, I mean, and specifically, like, the verb used is diminish. Yeah. Uh, and it's also something that I necessarily don't think that humans would have the ability to kind of be aware of. But they're also <laughs> so old, they've seen probably smaller versions of this sort of thing happen and then end, and mm-hmm. then end poorly. So, Yep. It was a dense chapter. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't think it was so dense until we started breaking it down. <laughs> Everyone's favorite parts? Um, I think, I think that my favorite part is, uh, kind of the, the friendship that's shown to Gimli, um, from Galadriel and then from Celeborn as well, um, after, and then of course the, the friendship that, that begins between Legolas and, and Gimli. Um, I think Celeborn has this great line about, you know, hopefully that this is a sign that, uh, the kind of the darkest days are soon to be behind us and that maybe we can have a great friendship again between our people. So that yeah, was mine I, as well, like actually. That. 
But specifically, like, the moment where it says that Legolas started taking Gimli around with him everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Buddy buddies. Mine was just one line. There's this one line that Sam says. I don't know why. It's very much a Sam line. But it just says, it's the job that never start. The job that's never started takes longest to finish, as my old gaffer used to say. Oh. <laughs> that's it. That's my favorite thing from this chapter. It's just that line. No no more. I just feel like there's a little bit of wisdom that popped up in here. Get your mm-hmm. work done. <laughs> that was, that, I mean, that was some chapter. I read it at like 7.30 this morning. I just like woke up just immediately. The first thing I just like, I read it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do whatever hell else I'm going to do today. <laughs> that's, probably why, last night. that's probably why I mistakenly thought Legolas referenced Melkor instead of Morgoth when I just checked it and it, he it totally say Morgoth. says Morgoth. Okay, okay. I, 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 I hope so. I was like, I, I, yeah, I don't know that you would ever actually see Melkor. That was again. me being crazy. <laughs> and it's like early in the morning and I just woke up. So. <laughs> Well, favorites outside of the book? I'm Rudolph. Um, My favorite thing from this week is like a five-second video that I saw on <laughs> Instagram yesterday. Oh, I know what this is. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know fainting goats? Yes. Okay. Uh, and how fainting goats are basically the best thing ever. Um, <laughs> well, so there's this little video and it's like a little kitty's slide toy thing. And there's a little fainting goat standing at the top of the slide and it, it kind of bleats, I think. And then it, it hears a noise and does its defense mechanism thing, you know, and it like trips and falls down the slide and then faints and it just kind of stiffly slides down and like lays on the ground it's the best thing that i've seen on the internet this week Uh, those things like those goats never fail to make me laugh (laughs) right because i have this like deep love for just all things derpy That that video was going around a party last night, and we I think we watched it all about like five times. Yeah, yeah. For me, I guess it was. Um, I saw Roman Holiday for the first time this week. Oh, you got to see it in theaters? Yeah, I nice. went to the TCM release or re-release. Mm-hmm. Um, because seven years ago I studied abroad in Rome. I hate to believe that it's that long ago. Mm-hmm. And my friend is going to Rome for Christmas, so he's like, "Oh, we have to go see this together." And I mean, it wasn't like my favorite thing. But it was it was so interesting, like seeing something filmed in Rome before it became like this mega tourist destination. Yep. You know, yep. she's on like the Spanish steps, and there are like fifteen other people there rather than fifteen hundred. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't say that a lot of like some people, maybe a spurn of tourism at the time was because of that movie mm-hmm. in, in a way. Well, I mean, there's it, that that movie kicked off this whole period known as Hollywood on the Tiber. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've got that, you've got um, Three Coins in the Fountain, and then you've got all of the spaghetti westerns. Like, you know, it, it was part of the revitalization of the American film, or I mean, the Italian film industry. Some of it Italian, as the spaghetti westerns were. Some of it American, as, you know, like Three Coins in the Mountain, etc. But, you know, it's just like, it's an interesting period for me. Uh, I looked it up. Apparently, part of the reason why we started making so many films in uh, Italy, and that includes stuff like Ben-Hur, uh, was because it was illegal for 
the studios to export their profits from Italy. So they just like had all of this money that was being held in Italy. So they're like, okay, screw it. We'll just make movies in Italy. I re- and secondary to that, I really like that TCM um, putting these movies back at theaters. That's how I saw Sound of Music early this year and realized that Sound of Music is like one of my favorite movies ever. Mm-hmm. We also saw um, Rear Window that way, and Rear Window is my favorite Hitchcock movie. Like, I mean, I like that movie leaps and bounds above anything else by Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, and seeing that... it in theaters was amazing. And and to that end, then I'm going to recommend a podcast to you. Uh, and you know, well, it's fresh air, so it's not like it's something unknown. But there's a new documentary coming out called Hitchcock Truffaut. I've heard about apparently, that, yeah. yeah, apparently Francois Truffaut was a huge fan of Hitchcock and did a series of interviews with them. So anyway, this documentary is coming out. is just kind of about that meeting. But Fresh Air interviewed the director of that documentary, and it was the uh, the episode that came out on December 1st. So you okay. should listen to that. <laughs> okay right. no no i've i've i do have a favorite thing from this week and the thing is i feel like i'm going to probably talk about it again in the future because it's it's a video game that came out this year and it came out in episodic form so i've only played the first episode i have all the episodes but i only played the first episode this week but it really captured my imagination and i really like it so far it's uh called life is strange and it's not what i expected to be it's basically about these two girl well it's about this one girl in um she's not in high school it's been a lot of time like playing it trying to figure out what she was doing or what school she was in but it's like a art it's like a fine art institution like an academy called blackwell Ooh. academy in like in like oregon and she is like oh, she's like she wants to be a photographer when she grows up and she's learning to be a photographer but she goes in the bathroom one day and a guy pulls a gun on a girl and shoots her and kills her and because they're having this like horrible argument and then all of a sudden she 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 holds up her hand and ends up back in the classroom she was in a few minutes ago and she realized she was able to reverse time and she now has this like awareness of this and so you play as her trying to figure out how to like stop that from happening and then that stopping that from happening sets off a bunch of um bunch of like i wouldn't say horrible events but very tragic little events and it's very intriguing because it's I actually got really emotional playing this first episode because it deals a lot with like harassment and abuse and how and the and the primary characters are young women who are like 18 having to deal with like the world telling them to grow up and not quite knowing what it is to grow up as well mm-hmm. and dealing with all like it's just really good so far and I can't wait to finish it. Hmm. But it's not it's not what I expected it to be and uh it's it's interesting. Like, I'm not a fan of this episodic gaming thing, but this one I'm definitely digging. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, I think that wraps us up for today. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John. I'm Katie. And I'm Chase, the grave and beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Talking Tolkien. You can find us online at TalkingTolkien.com and you can send us an email to the professor at TalkingTolkien.com. We are also Talking Tolkien on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, and Stitcher. If you're an iTunes subscriber and you like what you hear, please be sure to give us a rating and review. We also have a Patreon account where you can donate as little as $1 per month to help us grow our podcast and help with expenses such as microphones and server space. Every little bit is appreciated. 